you that it, um, it stands and it does not falter or fail. I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and giving us uh, your word to us that we can know some of your thoughts, that we can know something about who you are and what you would have us do as we worship you with our lives. Pray that the word would come clearly into our hearts this morning, that the spirit would use it to grow us and conform us into the image of Jesus, that we would leave here this morning different than we walked in. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. As he said, my name is Cody Mather. That's my wife, Jordan. Go ahead and wave to him. She's really good, She's really good looking. Um, so uh, I'm thankful to be here. I consider Jared one of my greatest friends, so I'm thankful that in God's sovereignty, right when I moved here, I got to meet a guy like Jared. It's always good to be um, encouraged by guys like that who are in the ministry um, and just faithful people for the gospel. So Jared, thank you so much. Um, and Grace Bible, it is an honor to be here this morning. Jared only asked me yesterday, so I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth today. No, no, he asked me uh, a while ago, so I'm I'm, I'm so pumped. I'm so excited to be here this morning. Um, I'm thankful for y'all's church. I, I, I get to hear a lot of what you guys do in the community and what y'all are getting to do. So, um, man, God has blessed y'all and God is using y'all. And so that's from an outsider's perspective. Um, and so like Jerry said, I'm the youth pastor at, uh, at First Baptist. I've been there for three and a half years now. Um, and so I know a youth pastor is speaking today, so we're going to get out on time is how that normally, that normally goes. But no. Um, so thank you guys for allowing me to be here this morning. Huge, huge honor. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the story of Zechariah today. Going to take a little um, different turn on his story. Maybe something that we haven't heard or maybe even looked at and considered when we read his story. Um, So let me pray for us before we actually jump into it. All right. So God, we love you. Uh, We thank you again for who you are, God. I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for the music that we were able to lift up to you, Father. Pray that that would be pleasing to you. Um, And God, now we just ask that your scripture would be spoken um, and that we would hear the story of your gospel clearly. Um, And God, that it would penetrate our hearts to where our hearts would make us move um, for you and what you want us to do, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, there is something just about the Christmas season and that I love and I've loved ever since I was a little kid. It's something that I just get giddy about. I don't know why. Um, Probably because my mother is a Christmas Nazi and that's okay. She accepts that term, okay? So that is not a derogatory term towards my mother. She is in fact a holiday Nazi. So every holiday she decorates for No joke. I'm saying like Valentine's Day, there's decorations in the house, outside the house. There's hearts and everything. Um, So it's ridiculous. But out of all the holidays that my mom just decorates for and goes overboard um, would definitely be Christmas. And so, man, as a kid, there was all this hype about Christmas. The decorations were up the day after Thanksgiving. Um, And so she she just loves it. There's something about the spirit of Christmas. As soon as Christmas, I mean, as, as soon as 
Since Thanksgiving's over, we're watching Hallmark, cheesy love movies. Um, and don't deny that you're not. We all know that you are. Um, and so we would watch those things. Uh, we would be decorating the house and white Christmas would come on. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful that my mom loved that because now I love that. Um, I would watch Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm trying to get my wife onto that um, tradition. <laughs> we're, we're getting there, okay? So please pray for us. Um, no, but uh, man, she loved it. I'm telling you, we have our own snowman room. Okay, so our dining room is a snowman room at my house. There are Christmas trees outside of the house. The entire outside of the house in the backyard is decorated as well. Um, There are... 20 plus Santas sitting on a mantle. Um, there are, I don't know how many nativity scenes or advent calendars that um, my mom has. Like, she's so crazy that we outgrew the attic with her decorations and threw them. Like, my dad had to remodel a shed in our backyard so she could fit all her decorations in a shed. So, needless to say, um, that's kind of the spirit that is instilled in me um, and even for my wife. I'm so thankful I married someone who, who loves Christmas as well and she decorates even before Thanksgiving just so we get it out of the way. Um, and so, man, just as a kid growing up, Christmas was, Christmas was awesome, right? I loved it. And I'm sure if we were to share uh, stories from maybe when we were younger, it would maybe be the same type of stories that you would be, as a kid, you're waiting for that day of school to get out. So you're finally on break because that means it's one step closer to the day of Christmas to open those presents or finally get to see family. Or maybe you're like me and you would wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning on Christmas and go look at all your stocking stuffers and stuff like that before your parents knew that you would go and look at it. I don't know. But if we, if we probably got to share stories, they would be similar. And now as we get older, they would probably be similar as well. Because when you're a kid, Christmas can't come soon enough, right? And it's like the closer that you get to Christmas as a kid, the longer it takes to actually get there. Right? As a kid, you're like, it's so close. We're two days away, but it's so far away. I just want Christmas. I can't wait. And now as an adult, we're like three weeks away from Christmas. And now we have a different type of approach. We start to panic. Right? We're like, oh my gosh. I haven't even gone to the store. I haven't gone to the mall. I don't even know what my kid wants. I don't know what my dad wants. I'm just going to get gift cards, okay, because that works for everybody. And so um, there's, there's this different approach. But here's what we knew, and here's what we know today, that the certainty, the day of Christmas, no matter how fast or how slow, it was going to get here, right? As a kid, Christmas was coming. As an adult, whether we like it or not or prepared or not, Christmas is coming. We have the certainty of that day, that that anxiously just waiting for Christmas to appear. There's something within our culture that we just can't, we get so excited about it. And we know that without a doubt, for the most of us, that day is going to happen. December 25th, we're going to wake up, we're going to open our presents, we're going to spend time with family. I'm going to eat steak because my family eats steak. You may eat a turkey. I don't know. But the day is coming. And what happens for the first Christmas, before when Jesus was coming, this is kind of the same dynamic that we see in Scripture. This dynamic of waiting. This idea of waiting for something more to happen. Because in Scripture, there's a group, there's a remnant of Israel before the first Christmas ever happened that were waiting for their Messiah to come. Right? They're waiting for what God had promised long, long, long ago. Every single day they're waiting that maybe today is the day that our Messiah will arrive. 
Maybe today is a day that he's going to finally reconcile us or redeem us or save us from Roman Empire. Whatever their outlook on the Messiah was coming, they were waiting. And they had waited for a really, really long time. There was just a small group of them, a remnant, that they just wait for this Messiah to come. And for a lot of them, for generations and generations and generations, most of them had died without ever seeing the fulfillment of Scripture ever come true. Most of them have died without ever seeing Jesus or the Messiah that was promised to come. And this is the story that we see in Luke chapter 1 and with our two people that we're, that we're going to look at this morning. This is the story that we find in them. A group of people waiting for the Messiah that hasn't come yet and waiting for this promise of God to take place. And here's why this is relevant for us. There are times in our lives and in our walk, if we're believers, where it seems like God is quiet. Where it seems like God is just, he's just silent. That he, we don't think he's up to something. Or we don't really see his work in our life. And for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it had been 400 years that God had not spoken a word through a prophet. But yet they're still waiting. They're anticipating. And for you and I, there's times in our walk where we just go, God, where are you in this? Why are you being so silent? Why aren't you moving? Even though I'm being faithful, even though I'm one of the remnants, why aren't you at work? All right? and, and if we're honest, none of us are above this. Right? If you look at the Psalms, if you look at the life of David, all right, a lot of his Psalms that he wrote were lamenting Psalms. If you look at it, he's saying, God, where are you? I can't find you. I can't seek you. You haven't spoken to me. He's quiet. And we begin to have doubts and we begin to maybe wonder and go astray, God sometimes is quiet. And I think if we'd be honest, some of us have maybe been in that season of life before. That we're, that we're, we're faithfully attending church, or we, we're reading our scripture, or we're keeping up our good works and our morals and our ethics. Whatever you want to put under that umbrella that we've been faithful, yet we feel like, where is God? Where is he? And this is the story that we see. And if you've ever been in that place in the Christmas story, it's for you. All right, so let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5 is where we're going to be at. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So a little bit of context right here. So Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they're, of course, they're Jewish, but they come from the priestly line. So he's from Abijah, which is a section of priests for the Jewish people, and his wife Elizabeth is actually a descendant of Aaron. So here's what they pretty much are. They're pastor's kids. They're, they've come from dads and moms who have served in the temple for generations and generations. That's their lineage. And so that's what they do. They're PKs. They know the church. They know the temple. That's who they are. Um, and so 
They're from that lineage, and they come from a long line of religious leaders. But here's the, the context and the culture that they're in. They're in the days of Herod. And if we've ever read uh, kind of Matthew or even Luke, we know that Herod is not the best dude in the world. He's a, he's a pretty bad guy. And the fact that at, uh, he wanted to kill all the babies, male babies that were two years and, uh, and younger in Bethlehem, he wanted to pretty much massacre them. He killed three of his own sons, so they wouldn't overthrow him, right? Uh, I think one of the, uh, I think Caesar at that point said, it's better to be a pig uh, that uh, lives with Herod than his own son, right? Because Herod is a nasty dude. So this is the culture that Elizabeth and Zechariah are in. They don't really have much control. They're controlled by really governing authorities, but they've continued to be faithful. And here's something that we need to know as we go on. Zechariah's name literally means the Lord has remembered. And that's going to play a part as we finish, as we walk through this story. So let's look at verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So here we have, we have, four, we have two people that have been faithful to God, practicing in the temple, giving worship to God. But here's what it says about them. This is their character, right? This is who they are behind closed doors. When the doors have shut and they're by themselves, this is who they are. They're righteous and they're blameless before God. So that means they're practicing all the Jewish rituals. They're practicing all the commandments that we see in Leviticus. And by the way, there's a lot of them and there's a lot of weird laws. There's a lot of weird things that we see in the book, but they're blameless before God. This is their character. So if we have anything, we can say, listen, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're good people, right? If there's someone that we kind of want to be like, it would be Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they've been doing this without God speaking for 400 years. They've been faithful, they've been blameless, and they've been perfect without a word from God for 400 years. They didn't give up, they didn't give in, they continue to go to the temple, they continue to serve faithfully. This is who they are. Now let's look at their circumstances in verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So you're telling me, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you get up every day, you pray, you go to the temple, you walk blamelessly, you continue to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. He hasn't spoke for 400 years. He's been silent. He hasn't said a word through a prophet. We've seen really no act of him yet. And you can't get pregnant. You're barren. And you continue to stay faithful. Now let me explain the culture a little bit. In this culture, it was pretty much the woman's fault that they could not have... Okay, there was no science. There was none of those things that could really determine whether it was the male's fault or the woman's fault. So the blame always got put on the woman. Okay, we can't have a kid, we've tried, then it's the woman's fault. The blame was placed on her, she's barren. So, and I'm not trying to say this to be offensive, but for women in that time, 
there was not really a lot that they could do. All that they were really good for was producing children in that culture, in that time. They weren't really educated. They really had no political power. They had really no religious power or authority. But what they could do, they could produce kids, and they could advance your name. They could advance the lineage, and maybe you'll have a boy, and he'll continue that name, and you'll continue that lineage. That's what they were known for. That's what they were good for. And if you couldn't do that, then there, there, there was this stigma, right, this religious stigma that somehow you have done something wrong in your life that God has cursed you. That there, because you can't produce a child, because you can't have a kid, because you can't carry on your family name, then you have done something in your life where God has cursed you. You're barren. And we find out later that Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying to have a child for a long, long time time. And so we have to ask the question, if God hasn't spoken, if he hasn't given us a kid, if he hasn't given us like the deepest desire of our heart, and some of you have been there, right, where you've prayed desperately and for so many years or however long it is, but yet God seems like he hasn't acted and granted you that prayer. There's many of us that have been in there where we want something so desperately for God to move, for God to do something, yet he's been silent. He hasn't done it yet. He hasn't responded to it yet. And here is where we see Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they've been faithful. And so we have to ask the question, why are these two people, why have they continued to be faithful in the midst of trials, and the midst of not being able to have a kid, and with their Messiah not coming yet? Why have they been faithful? And so we'll see that. It goes all the way to the book of Genesis in chapter 12, when God begins to call Abraham. And I would maybe even argue that it goes back to the fall when, when um, Adam and Eve have sinned and God told the, the serpent that, hey, you will bruise this hill, but he will crush your head. I would say it probably goes all the way back to that. But here's a little bit of an Old Testament survey, okay? Um, uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, whom, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So many of us in this room have probably heard of the guy named Abraham. Even if this is maybe one of your first times to church, you probably heard of his name. He's a popular guy. And so we've seen in Genesis 12, 1 through 2, we've seen what God said he was going to do with Abraham. We've seen that come to fulfillment, okay? So did he make Abraham a great nation? Yes, that's why we have the Israelites. Did he give him sons? Yes, we can see that these things are happening. Did he make his name great? Yes, because again, many of us have heard him. But here's where it comes down to it. All people will be blessed through you. This is the idea that Abraham and the Hebrew people, the Israelites, that they're going, listen, something is going to happen greater than we can think of because God is going to bless all people through us, through the Hebrew people. So there comes this time of waiting and, and maybe anxiety of what is to come. Something is, is happening. Something God is going to do. So look at the story of Israel. Let's, let's, let's just look at it. Abram, Abraham had a son who had sons, who had many sons, right? We get to the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 50. And we see that um, 
Joseph moves to Egypt. And by the end of Joseph's story, we see that his family and all his brothers had moved to Egypt. Right? And that Israel, in the eyes of the Pharaoh of Egypt, or whoever was in charge at that time, they had some type of accreditation. They were, they were doing well. They weren't in slavery at this point. And so at this time in, Israel, or in Egypt, we see that they become a pretty big nation. Right? They, they've grown in numbers. They've grown in multitude. God is growing them. And they finally came a nation. Now we see a little bit later in the story that they had a rough spot, that they got put into slavery. But we find out through Moses that God has heard their prayers and that he's going to answer them. And so he exoduses them out of Egypt. Right, The exodus, he moves them out. And at, at some point, he brings them to the promised land 40 years later. Right, So they finally made it to the place that God said, listen, I'm going to bring you to. Okay, And so then at this point, they go, well, we kind of want to be like everybody else in the world. And we want a king. We want to be a kingdom. Because at this point, Israel didn't have kings. They had Moses. They had Joshua. But they didn't really have people that were necessarily in charge of them. They didn't have a kingdom. And so they want this. They want this. And so finally, God gives over to their wants and to their needs. And he makes them a kingdom. We, we have Saul, who maybe wasn't the best king. He was a little bit at first. But um, later on, we see that he kind of gives over to sin. And so then we have David, a man who is after God's own heart as the king. And so things are actually doing really well for David. But then David passes away. And then we have his son Solomon come. And then during that time of David and Solomon's reign, Israel, Jerusalem explodes. I mean, they are the kingdom. They are the people that the world should look to. They are the city on a hill at that point. So if there was ever a time that God was going to bless all people, that if God was going to do something through the Israelites... It should have been at that time, right? That they've got the momentum, the wheels are turning, they're doing really well, the kingdom is exploding, they're conquering territories, they're growing. Now is the time that God should have acted, but he didn't. Because very, very shortly after that, we see that the, the kingdom of Israel begins to fall apart. Right? As soon as Solomon um, dies and he, he's, his kingdom is given to someone else, we see that the nation is split in two, right? into Israel and Judah. And after that, we see that uh, the nation of Israel is given over to slavery, idolatry, famine, war. Um, they've changed king's hands about 25 times. And if you go do some of your research on these kings, you didn't have a lot of good kings at that point. They weren't, they weren't guys who were seeking after God. You had the kingdom of Israel going back and forth into captivity by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, by the Philistines, by the Greeks. So this idea that Israel was going to be a blessing to all people in the mind of those who remember the promise in Genesis, that's probably beginning to dwindle some. God, how can you use a nation that has been conquered and ravaged and torn apart and people are fleeing you? How are you ever going to bless a nation? And here's where it comes to its head. Around 63 BC to 65 BC, there's a guy named Pompey the Great who actually takes over the city of Jerusalem. 
and he ravages the city of Jerusalem and he comes to the temple and he makes his way past the guards and what he does is he enters into the Holy of Holies. Now, if you know anything about the Holy of Holies, it was a place where God's presence and his holiness reside. And if you read through the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy or any of those, you know that God takes his holiness um, important, that God's name does not get desecrated, that his fame does not get pushed out of the way. And so here you have this guy who is a pagan, who is not burning incense at the altar, who is not praying for his soul to be cleansed before he walks into the Holy Holies. He pushes past the veil and he goes in and he looks around and he walks back out. Anybody that walks into the Holy Holies without going through this ceremonial cleansing, they died. But he walks in, walks out, and he pretty much says, there's nothing in there. It's an empty room. It's full of space. He should have died. Yet he didn't. It's almost as if God's name and his holiness was desecrated and God did nothing. And you can imagine at this point, at 63 to 65 BC, Zechariah is probably a little boy. He's probably a little kid and his dad is, is a part of the temple I can imagine Zechariah's dad coming to him or maybe talking at the family table later that day and saying, this is what's happened and God didn't do anything. Pompey walked into the Holy of Holies. He desecrated the holiness of God and God did nothing. This is the culture that Zechariah is living in, that even God didn't strike down someone who defamed his name. He's been silent, he's been quiet. And this is how Zechariah and the rest of those priests were raised up. They're raised up in a culture where they have, no, uh, they have no power. They're ruled by a foreign nation. And God has been quiet. And yet, with that background, Zechariah still enters the priesthood. Elizabeth still serves and follows God faithfully and blamelessly. while many of the Jews at this time have fallen away. And this began even before the 400 years of silence. Go read Malachi and you'll see what the priests had done to the temple. And during this time when God's silent, many, many, many people had left. And you could imagine that there were a lot of naysayers in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. I think many of you have probably heard these naysayers. That why are you continuing to stay faithful when God hasn't done anything? God hasn't shown his face. God hasn't said a word. Why are you continuing to stay faithful? My very best friend, who's like a brother to me, is an atheist. Was a believer at one point. A guy that I really, really looked up to and admired and astonished in the faith. And he began to come to a point in his life where he thought God was quiet and quit talking and he walked away from the faith. And so now my best friend is one of those naysayers in my life. He says, why continue? Why, why serve a God who doesn't act or doesn't do anything or won't prove himself? And if Zechariah and Elizabeth would have walked away at that point from the priesthood if they would have walked away and quit serving God faithfully and blamelessly, 
they would have been wrong. They would have been wrong. This is why Luke begins his story with a story. This is the trailer before the movie. This is why he begins this. Because we're about to see Genesis 12, 3 come to fulfillment. And again, this is important because a lot of times we feel like maybe God is quiet. Or God isn't listening. Or God isn't active. But when we look at the story of Christmas, we see that God does act. We see that God does move. It is a resounding yes into eternity that God is faithful and God continues to move even when we sometimes don't feel that or we don't sense that. So continue to look at the story. Luke 1 verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, so... Zachariah, it's his day. He's on duty. He's at the temple. And pretty much this is Christian gambling. They cast lots, right? Um, and so they cast lots because they believe that God was in the casting of lots. And at that point, the lot fell on, on Zechariah to, listen, you will be the one before the Holy of Holies to burn the incense. Now, there's a lot of sects of priests, okay? And so this may be... Zechariah probably didn't get the opportunity to do this a lot of times in his life. He didn't get the opportunity to go and burn incense at the altar before the Holy of Holies because of how many priests and lineages that there were. And so this is a huge honor for any priest to do, right? This is, okay, this is mama, I made it moment, right? This is his mama, I made it moment. I get to do this before God. And so what he's going to do, he's going to go before the altar, go and burn incense and pray to God, however that looks like, okay? So then look at Luke 1.10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. So he's in there. He's by himself. Literally, it's him. All the other priests are behind him in the temple. There's these different orders that they're praying in. And he's in there, and he's praying. And then out of nowhere, this angel just appears. Okay? And Zechariah is terrified, right? And we hear this typical angel response. Anytime you read scripture and you see an angel come, he says, don't be afraid, right? Don't be scared. Because he sees this angel and he's scared. And a lot of times, like, people are like, oh, I saw an angel and it was so glorious. No, you did not. Because most of the time, you're scared on your knees saying, get away from me, right? Because these things, they're, they're probably freaky looking. I know they're this angelic, awesome looking thing, probably. I can't wait to see it when I'm in heaven. I don't know if I want to be terrified by one right now. But he's terrified. And Zechariah was a righteous man. He was blameless. And he followed all the degrees of God perfectly. And he's terrified and here's what, the, here's what the angel says. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Isn't that cool? Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Wouldn't we like to hear that from God sometimes? Yeah. Not God that you need to act on my behalf, but the fact that we hear from God saying, I listened to you. I've heard it. I've taken it into 
account. And Zechariah at this point should be beginning to go, God is up to something. God is about to move something. So look, continue to look at the story. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And we know that this John is pretty popular, right? John the Baptist, okay? So this is their son that they're going to have. And he says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. If I'm Zechariah and I'm sitting in that place and I'm well advanced in years, I'm old, and the angel says, listen, you're going to bear a son, I think I would turn away or I would begin to ask questions. Maybe that's just me. Maybe just because I'm sinful and God hasn't spoken for 400 years and I'm old now and I'm past the prime age of having a kid. Maybe I'm going to begin to question that. But here's what's cool. You'll see it here in the story of Luke that he says, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will be before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Look at Malachi. Look at the last thing God says in Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. It's almost verbatim, word for word, what the angel is saying to Zechariah, that listen, God is not done acting. He's not given up. He's still here. And here's, and here's his response. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Right? This is his questioning. And guys, maybe listen up here. For I am an old man. Zechariah just throws it out. Listen, I'm old. But then he begins to be really careful. Okay? And my wife, she, well now she's not old. She's advanced in years. Okay? So listen to that. She's not calling his wife old. He was smart about that. Okay? Listen, I'm an old man. And my wife, she's well along in years. I hear you, but angel, you're late. We've been praying for a really long time to have a kid. We started praying in our 20s. Nothing happened. We continue to pray in our 30s. Nothing happened. We even continue to, come, continue to pray in our 40s. No kid. We didn't stop there. We even, we even tried it in our 50s. But now I'm old. And I'm well along in years, and my wife is too. And we've accepted where we're at. It's not going to happen. And look what, look what Gabriel says. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. This is Zechariah's burning bush moment. Right? Moses had this encounter with God where the bush was 
engulfed with flames, yet it was not burning. And God said, listen, I'm gonna send you to Egypt and you will proclaim the things I say to you, right? And he's standing before a burning bush and it is audibly speaking to him. And Moses has the audacity to say, I'm not good with my words. I stutter. I wasn't really good in speech class. Don't put me, don't, I'm not that person. God should have yelled at him, dude, I'm speaking to you through a bush. You think you can't speak? This thing with leaves and twigs, it's speaking to you. This is Zechariah's burning bush moment where he asked the angel of Gabriel, how do I know this is going to happen? And he says, listen, I stand in the presence of God. That God is the one who is going to be at work in your life. And in verse 20, we see this. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Maybe some of your scripture says appointed time. I'm not sure. So you're telling me that God's been silent for over, yet this day was marked on his calendar. Yep. You're telling me that God hasn't quit paying attention. Yep. You're telling me that he's still on his throne and he's still up to something. Yeah. You're telling me that he's got a story that he's still writing. Yeah. God is continuing to be faithful. He hasn't lost interest. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. So there's not a lot of time that was spent in that time. They prayed, got out, did their business. But Zechariah had been in there for a while. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. This is the story before the story. This is God's warm up act before what he is about to do. He's gearing up for what he promised from the beginning of creation. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forsaken us. He's continued to track along with us. Look at the conclusion of the story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. God is up to something. God is working and he's going to see his promise fulfilled. And here's where our life intersects with the narrative of Zechariah and Elizabeth and for the, for the remnant of Israel that was before them. 
when it seems like God has not been faithful or God has been quiet, do we stay where we're at or do we abandon him? Do we begin to give up on our morals or do we continue to be faithful? Do I quit reading scripture and the promises of God yet that I haven't seen them come true in my life or just because something God didn't do the way I thought or I needed it to be done? Do I give in or do I give up? Do I continue to fight? Do I continue to push? Do I continue to run the race that is set before me? Or do I begin to withdraw back and go off to the sidelines? Do we continue to be faithful or do we continue to give up? And this is the norm. This is the everyday battle that we face. Will I be faithful to God today or will I not be? Will I be faithful when maybe I haven't heard him the way I wanted to be? Or will I not be faithful? Will I give in to my sin and my temptation and the things and the darts and the flames that the enemy is throwing at me? Or will I continue to look upon your son Jesus and finish the race? Here's what I know about God. Is that God blesses the faithful. And this may not, his blessings may not seem the way that we want them to. But I knew, do know that God blesses those who dig their heels in and remain faithful to him. That's apparent through scripture. That those that faithfully serve God, that he will bless them. And the greatest blessing that he gives us is himself. So the fact that they had waited and waited and waited and waited for the Messiah to come, but they remained faithful, God gave them himself. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God gives us himself. And here's what I do know, because Christianity is not easy. And if, ever, if anyone ever told you, hey, it's easy to be a Christian, I apologize for them on your behalf because it's the hardest thing that you'll ever do. To actually remain faithful to a God that you can't tangibly touch and feel and see, it's tough. Especially when the world is, is, is swaying you and calling out your name and telling you to take pleasure in itself. It's tough to remain faithful to a God that you can't see, yet you can see all these things that glitter and shine around you. It's tough. But the fight, the reward at the end is worth it. It's not that you get a crown of, a crown of things and jewels when you go to heaven, but you get to be before God himself and you get everything that your heart has so desperately and always desired. Here's what Christmas is. Christmas is our reminder that our faith and our hope in God is not in vain. The story of Christmas reminds us that the hope and faith that we have in Jesus and his blood being shed on that cross, it didn't happen for nothing. It's not in vain. There's a song that we sing a lot around this time. It's called, O Holy Night. And there's a part of the song that says, Long lay the world and sin and error pining. Okay, now when I was growing up, we didn't really say the word pining a lot, and I don't know, the only time I ever used the word pine was for a baseball bat, right? So, um, long lay the world, 
this idea that the world has been waiting. And the word pining means this just anxiously desiring this hope, a longing for something to happen. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And the next verse goes, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The long, the world has waited for a long time, but the good news is he appeared. And we begin to feel our worth that we have in Jesus. Here's an absolute truth. God came in the form of his son, Jesus. He died for you, he shed his blood, and he rose again to reconcile you to the Father. That's an absolute truth. Our hope in Jesus is not in vain. God came and he moved and he's still moving today even when sometimes we think he's quiet. And here's one of my favorite verses. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this and then I'll leave it to y'all. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will complete it. God is not done moving in your life. Continue to press in. Continue to fight the good fight. Continue to be like Zechariah and Elizabeth when all seems lost. When it doesn't seem like God's going to fulfill his promises, know this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He's not done. He's just now beginning. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for your words from the text this morning, God. God, we thank you for the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, God, just to remind us that our faith in you is not in vain, our hope in you is not miscounted, but Father, that we can come to you boldly approaching your throne, God, knowing that you will move, not on our behalf, but on yours and your timing, doing what you want to do, setting up the story that you have to glorify you and put your name in center lines. So God, we, God, just confess this morning, God, our sin of saying, God, we're sorry that we have sometimes abandoned you because we thought you have abandoned us, but God, forgive us of those things. God, I pray that you would give us a renewal of your spirit in this time of Christmas to know, Father, that you have come and that you are taking care of what you said you're gonna take care of. God, may we place our faith in that and not ourselves and not the things that the world has to offer us. Jesus, we love you so, so much. Jesus, we love you for the fact that you came and you rescued us and you redeemed us, God, and you reconciled us so we could know the Father. And that's our greatest blessing and that's how you bless the world, the fact that all people have a chance to know you. So God, may we not forget that. Father, we love you and we give this time of worship to you now.